This week on a lively experiment, the State Ethics Commission votes to take a deeper look into the actions of a General Assembly member. And will we finally see meaningful change in the state's educational system? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us this week, attorney and former prosecutor Eva Marie Mancuso, Jim Vincent, president of the NAACP's Providence branch and former state Republican Party chairman, Mark Smiley. And welcome, everyone. I'm Jim Hubble. It is great to have you back this week. What constitutes a conflict of interest? That question has at times been elusive as it applies to public and elected officials. This week, the Rhode Island Ethics Commission rejected a recommendation by its own prosecutor and decided to investigate the case of a teacher who doubles as a statewide union leader and voted on the recent Evergreen contract bill. This garnered a lot of attention. Mark, let's start with you. It's State Senator, East Providence State Senator Val Lawson. She's a teacher. She talked about the class exception. But it's interesting to me that the commission said, no, we want to take a little deeper look, despite what the prosecutor said. Well, Senator Cohn, two months ago, got an advisory opinion that he couldn't vote on a union bill before the Senate. Um, And he took the advice and recused himself. Uh, this is not a class situation. Of course, teachers can be legislators, but she's a vice president of a union. There's only two um, two organizations doing that, and you know, uh, this just smells bad, and it should be looked into. Yeah, but when she went to uh, to get the opinion by the staff, the staff said it was okay. Yeah, I want. I wonder about that, and maybe yeah. that's why the prosecutor, because they were going by their own staff. What well, when I was chair of the Board of Education, we had this issue come up many times because we had both the head of the NEA and a executive member of the AFT that were members of the Board of Education, and any time we voted on contracts um, involving their unions, they did recuse, and um, it wasn't even really a question that came up. So I don't even think that this is a question. I don't think she she, she should be voting on on contracts because she is a union official, not because she's a teacher. We are a citizen legislature, obviously, so um, they're going to have people that have all kinds of um, different jobs that may come up during the course of anything, but I don't even think this is difficult, Jim. I think that she should not be voting on it. She asked for an opinion twice, got an opinion, okay, so she's acting on that. So they're going to investigate what? I mean, she didn't do anything. I mean, I can see if she was trying to avoid it or didn't know, but she actually asked the staff, and the staff said, it's okay. Well, let's, let's go to the most basic level. I, I appreciate that, and I think that's maybe why the prosecutor did. If you right. were in that position, though, and all of the optics, and not only a teacher, right. but I'm a union person and all of that, wouldn't you, out of an abundance of caution, just say, look, I'm only one vote. It's not like I decide the whole thing here. Why not just because of the appearance of conflict? I probably would have, but what are they going to do now? I mean, you, uh, she... She basically... You're saying they're bound because of the opinion that was given. Right. I mean, it's, it's not like she tried to dodge it. Okay. No, so, what, so, what, so, what, so what do they do now? I mean, are they going to fine her for, for, for doing something that she admitted 
that well, she's Well, I think it do? needs to all come out. Okay, so who Correct. gave the opinion? I think it's a bigger... Was it written? Was it oral? Right. How was this delivered, right? Per- exactly the issue. It's, it's the optics of it. It's the appearance of impropriety that we have to be very careful about anytime you're, you're an elected or an appointed official. Um, that's why we have all kinds of disclosure forms when you're even volunteers. Um, I, I know that always surprised me that I had to fill out this ethics um, form when I was chair of the Board of Education um, and all kinds of disclosures because you're in, even though it's volunteer. So here she's actually being paid as a legislator and, um, and like I a, said. And paid as a union member. And paid as, as a union official and so she has a bigger duty. She's not just a, she has a duty to the union members. I mean, her, that's her duty. And that's her job. And I understand that and for those reasons I would have recused myself However, what's the Ethics Commission going to actually do now? Well, I think then yeah. they oh, vote. I, I they agree with that. I think I mean, we need to know if it's okay or not. Right. That's what we well, really then need. That's fine. It, it well, doesn't maybe really somebody, matter. That's maybe the commission issue. decides they gave that opinion an error. We don't know I was just going to say facts. that that might have been... That's Jim, another issue. Sometimes that's the vehicle. Uh, because sure. there's no way... I mean, there's moving parts. All so right. I don't know what staff it's member made it. It's investigatory. So the only way that they can look behind it is if they decide to look okay. behind it. Right. And I think that's what they're doing in this case. And that's fine. But she did. She shouldn't be fine she for did. it. If she, she followed, if she followed a written opinion right. and she took that advice, then it should be whoever gave the opinion that's in trouble, not her. That's I, what I'm saying. But don't but you the think issue up is and down the that. line that if anybody looked at this, the optics would be. And I, again, I, don't, I know Senator Lawson only just in, in passing. I don't know her well. But boy, wouldn't you just want to step away from that one? and say, look, this is at another level. Absolutely. I also wonder with the teeth of the Ethics Commission now, that's always come up. That's a larger issue for another day. But we've seen some situations where they said it's a not a conflict that you kind of scratch your head and you wonder why. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Party affiliation seems to have something to do to it with it also. Um, you know, there's been some Ethics Commission and Board of Elections decisions that just have me scratching my head over it. Uh, like the $72,000 check from um, the speaker during his campaign. Oh, we just wrote it out of the wrong checkbook. Okay, well, if that had been me, you know, I'd still be looking at the inside of uh, the ACI. Maybe not quite that. Maybe a fine. That's a little traumatic. All right. Somebody we, else, uh, but not you. The, uh, the Senate uh, just on Thursday confirmed a new Health and Human Services nominee. That the uh, it's, Her name is Wamzetta Jones. She comes from Minnesota. We're just beginning to learn about her. That'll all come out the details, Jim. But I wonder, this is a huge position. It affects a third of the people in the state, $2.5 billion budget. On first blush, what do you think about this nominee? I'm excited about the nomination. Uh, here's a person that's been involved in child welfare for 30 years. 30 years. And she's worked in Illinois, she's worked in Minnesota, and there was a national search. Uh, the Senate just confirmed her unanimously, I think it was last night. Right. And I think, you know, she brings an intangible in terms of actually understanding the population that is being served by a lot of those human service agencies. I had a meeting with Christopher Coley just yesterday, and she informed me that in the training school, for example, 70% of the people in there are people of color. Okay, she's a person of color, and I think she's walked... In, in, in many shoes, and I think she's going to bring a, an intangible that's important. I think 30 years of experience in that field, I think, is going to be helpful to all those departments, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. 
I wonder also, though, how is she going to be any different than, I mean, we wish her the best, obviously. But I've, I've always said to people, so if the judge said to you, okay, um, you can spend uh, 10 years at the ACI or you could be the director of DCYF, DOT, or DEM, which would you choose? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's a catch-22, right? She's got an uphill battle, but a fresh look. I, I'm excited as well, Jim. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at it. I mean, I actually, uh, because I'm a, you know, I'm a political wonk, I actually read some of the cases and talked about, uh, that were talked about in the media and what have you to look behind her. I'm really hopeful that she's able to um, attack this from all ends, and I hope that she's given the tools right. and the latitude to do what she has to do to really make sure that DCYF answers the call to people that are most in need. Is it a badge of honor for her that the unions filed a suit against her? <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I wish her luck. And, uh, and I hope they disclosed the condition of UHIP to her well enough that she really understands what she's up against there. Um, you know, she, she kind of made a statement about, oh, I just look at it as a challenge. Yeah, okay, yeah, all right, this is a challenge challenge. So, um, you know, we, we still are having horrendous problems out of here. And, Mark, uh, it's not UHIP, it's U- Rhode Island Bridges. Just <laughs> oh, okay. It's RI Bridges. Okay. But I also do wonder, the, the tools in the toolbox to be able to do this, because it's, and it's, it, just like the new Education Commissioner, which we'll get to soon, it, it's not a year, so it's going to be a decades long to try to fix this. Right. And I think you got the right person at the right time. You have to do something. Uh, and, I, and I applaud the governor for, you know, uh, finding somebody that has that kind of experience dealing with those kinds of issues. 30 years. I mean, that's not exactly uh, something to sneeze at. So uh, I'm optimistic. I mean, we have to do something. We just can't stand still. So I think that this is a, a, a good pick. And I think that uh, it's going to be re- reflected, you know, with some improvement uh, in, the near, in the near term. It's uh, fortuitous that we have the former chairwoman of the Board of Education because education, every time we come on, they're picking a new commissioner, somebody's leaving, Providence is falling apart. It seems like Groundhog Day sometimes. I'm interested because since you've been on, we have a new commissioner, Angelica Infante Green, and also a whole raft of bills in response to the RICAS that we're going to reform, we're going to reform, but also the head of RIPAC said maybe we don't need to go so fast. So I know there's a lot to dissect there, but just somebody seems to be doing something. I wonder if you think these are, this is meaningful legislation to, to look at, at the problems we have. I mean, they're certainly not new. Well, I think it's very sad that it's not the Board of Education who is mandated to do that kind of work, and we have to have the legislature uh, take the lead on it. I mean, it's great that they're doing that, but we do have a Board of Education that we don't hear much about as to either what they're doing or how they're doing it and how they're managing anything. It seems that they have been you know, in absentia in terms of doing anything that's progressive. And so the legislature had to take over and put the bills. I've read a lot of the bills. I think that they are, they're just, they're just important and they're just boilerplate and they're things that should already be being done. And I think that's probably what RIPEC is saying is that do we need a lot more legislation and mandates to do what should be done? Uh, For instance, one of the things, especially the K-12 part of it, um, you know, making sure that it's, it's, centralized in the schools and in the principals and in the building. I mean, 
uh, Commissioner Gist started that. It was just that her hands were so tied and our hands were so tied by everything that was happening at the time um, within um, within the unions in terms of the way they treated her and the way they didn't like her. So I'm seeing everything happening all over again. So my hope is that everybody tries to work with her and backs off in terms of uh, taking their own silos, in terms of protecting the status quo, which is completely deplorable. 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 I think the right cast course was a real wake-up call, and I think that's the silver lining in all of this because it got people to do something. And I think uh, uh, Angelica uh, Infante Green, you know, her comments about the change was very positive. Robert Walsh was very positive in terms of the change. So I think that, you know, to model it after Massachusetts is great, but there, there, there are some concerns. I mean, I know that in terms of disparities in this state, Massachusetts has disparities as well. So just to think that they are the, the, the everything Massachusetts is great. Yes, yeah, perfect. I, I think you got to you know look at you know certification of teachers. They're having a problem in terms of getting teachers of color in Massachusetts. So we got to look at certification of teachers and what that means for, for Rhode Island, and also this cost, and also there's um, you know. Uh, how many families, how many parents were involved in this process putting together this legislation? Was anybody of color involved in putting together this legislation? I don't know. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm positive about it because I think it's a step in the right direction. Well, you know, you're saying that, that Bob Walsh made a lot of positive comments. He made a lot of positive comments when Wagner came in also. Um, they always make the positive comments and then work the inside game. My problem with the whole thing is um, there is a forum for parents to be involved and there is anything. It's called the Board of education. And that's where they could have had a lot right. more dialogue and discussion about Agreed. things. When we rewrote the legislation, um, setting up the one board, um, that's how it was done. And it was done through the legislature and in, in concert with the Board of Education working together. Um, I think the RICAP scores are no different than what we saw from the NECAP scores. <laughs> it's just NECAP became the attack. And now this time, that's not that's not being argued. I'm not an educator, but I certainly know enough about about what the problems are in our schools that I'm able to se step back and say, we this is this should be immediate response. Let me bring Mark in. What do you think, Mark? I, I, the part that I like the most is empowering the local principal um, to be able to yeah. bring discipline into the school, to be able to hire teachers and you know, really run the school without the school committee behind them. Um, pulling the rug out from under them, that sort of thing. So that's what I like the most about it. And I didn't realize, you've probably heard this, uh, and I, I read uh, uh, a week ago or a month ago that Mayor Alorza is getting involved in some of the decisions of the schools in Providence, that there has to be interviews in the mayor's office. And I thought, I mean, like you don't have other things to do that you get the mayor involved. And I just, it seems like a lot of political interference that we could get rid of, right? It's the whole point. It's, it's it, in, a, in a perfect world, that's the way it really would happen is that it would be in the building, right? That's the way we run our businesses. That's the way we run government. Um, you know, the governor doesn't have a, have a whole committee of people that she discusses as to who's on her internal staff. Um, the big thing we talked about is that when you went to every school building, uh, when I was chair of the board, 
everybody could tell you who the great teachers were and who the teachers were that needed really to be doing something else. And it's really sad that we have become a society in Rhode Island where we protect and spend all our time with those teachers that are deficient. And I'm not talking about young people that need help growing up or, or working in the system. I'm talking about teachers that really shouldn't be teaching anymore or maybe shouldn't have in the beginning. They're not effective at what they done, they've done, and there's no way to get rid of them. So until we start looking at the realities of that and saying these are our children affected for generations, we're not going to have any huge change. So I'm hopeful. I love what I love what she's done in other schools. I look at where she comes from, but that's that's the biggest worry. Well, I'm going to pick up on something you just said about teachers. Uh, you know, the Providence school system is 92 percent children of color. Yep. Rhode Island. The public schools in Rhode Island is 45%, but yet the disparity in terms of who's actually teaching versus the students is huge and staggering. So I honestly believe that until we start making inroads in terms of getting more teachers of color in these schools, you're not going to see any significant change. Study upon study showed that when students of color are in front of teachers of color, they do better. There's studies, all kinds of studies. And that is fundamental to, I think, meaningful change. Uh, I mean, these things are good, and a step in the right direction. Uh, The whole uh, thing that Mark said about principles, I agree with, and I agree Ryan has to have a much more involvement in all of this. But until the the teachers, the look of the teachers change, you're not going to see anything dramatically change. I don't believe it. Not just the teachers, but also the aides, the support staff. People should be able to, if we're really integrating first language learners and coming in. Totally agree. Top to bottom. How do they talk to... you might, you might have a really effective teacher, but doesn't speak the language. But if we had three aides, these are low-paying jobs. No. This isn't highly educated. People that can translate so the child feels comfortable sure. in working with them. That's what I'm talking about. And it's we've also, down. Ta- we've also talked about Massachusetts as being the gold standard, but a lot of people forget all the work that's gone into it. They picked a plan 10, 20 years ago and, and stuck to it. And isn't that part of the problem that the we've legislature meddles? And- we've got to get the ore in the water and go right. in a particular direction, whatever that direction is, and stick with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was my view when I was chair of the board. I didn't, at, at that point, and I said to Governor Chafee many times and to the board, you know, I don't know that kneecap is the best test. I don't know that we're on the on the right test and the, or the gold standard test, but we're nine-tenths of the way to a graduation requirement. Let's cross over and see what happens to that. Let's get to the finish line. We've never done that. I brought the same people in to the Board of Education to discuss with them from Massachusetts that they've had just recently. And it's like, it's history re- repeating itself. Well, I've talked to teachers and they say that the curriculum changes every year. You know, it's a whole new curriculum that I have to yeah. learn or prepare well, for or so on and so forth. They, we just can't do it that way. All well, right. There was uh, a rally up at the State House earlier this week. Uh, Jim, you had brought this to my attention about housing protection legislation. Yes. And I was interested, and it goes to sources of income and what landlords can consider. It's, Basically, non-employment that right. some people are saying, well, if you got Social Security, Section 8 vouchers, that shouldn't count. And I was surprised. Rhode Island, as other states have adopted this law, but we're not there yet. We're, 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 we're an outlier uh, because 10 states in, and the District of Columbia, uh, over 60 cities, almost every major city you can name, and 40 other counties have protections so that if you are a renter and your source of income is either Section 8 or, as you said, Social Security or something else, uh, a landlord can discriminate against you solely based on the source of income. Now, that's wrong, but you can do that in Rhode Island and New Hampshire. And you know that that's going on? 
And that, that and we've been told that that is going on, you know, and it's counterintuitive. You would think that a limb right, would. It's guaranteed. You would, it's guaranteed money. <laughs> I mean, somebody like me, I, you know, I'm probably not going to bounce the federal check, right? I'm not going to bounce the federal check. My check is not going to bounce either. But however, I might not be paying the first of the month every month. So why wouldn't you want a guaranteed check? Because it, it's only because of the stigma of the person that they see with the Social Security and the uh, Section 8. And, you know, it's discrimination. I mean, they can get away with it. Uh, the only other state in New England that doesn't have it is New Hampshire. But four states in New England have it. So we have to get on board with legislation to make sure that source of income discrimination cannot happen in Rhode Island. Do you get any sense where the legislature is on this? I'm not, not quite sure at this moment, but um, I'm, I'm optimistic that it will get passed because it's just a no-brainer. I mean, 60 other cities, 10 other states, 40 other counties around this country have it. I mean, the fact that we don't have it, it's amazing. Right. It'd be interesting to hear from from the people that work in the um, in the housing, um, helping mm -hmm. helping yeah. lower income mm -hmm. people find housing. If that they're seeing that as an epidemic, because that'll be the best testimony. I always put my lawyer hat on. Mm -hmm. That would be the best testimony before the legislature as to whether or not it's something that that's really affecting people. But that's that's an interesting point, and uh, like I, you're right, it's counterintuitive. Right, and plus nobody should be turned away from housing because of their source of income if they can afford the unit. Right. It doesn't right. make sense. Right. Guaranteed income, as you said. Yeah. All right, got a couple other things. Let's go to uh, outrageous. Uh, Mark, what do you have this week? I have a kudo. I just want to bring forward um, that Operation Stand Down's gala tonight and this weekend. The boots on the ground celebration is this weekend. Uh, get down to Fort Adams and take a look at that. It's it's very impressive. So, Going on all Memorial Day weekend. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, quick. Uh, tight and bright, as we like to say. Eva, what do you have? Well, you know, I always do kudos, uh, and I, no. I gotta send a kudos out to all our new college graduates and and um, the Hummel, the Hummel kids, the Hummel and, twins, and the Feeney and the Feeney daughter with her MSW. But all the kids now that have graduated, the best and the brightest, and uh, hope that they stay in Rhode Island or come back to Rhode Island and and add to our culture here. We need the young people to invigorate our our. Um, our business, our social life, and everything around it. And um, as pointed out earlier by um, by Mr. Vincent to me, is that um, Rhode Island College, they said that 70% of their graduates stay in Rhode Island. So That's welcome, right. and, and let's make That's them right. welcome. Let's train some young people. We're starting a new young college graduate this morning in our law firm, and let's hope that, you know, we, we have the patience um, to wait and train, but also to harness her energy and be able to move forward. Yeah, and you know, it's amazing. I went to a lot of the, the uh, I had various departmental graduations to go to. You listen to the resume on some of these kids, and oh, it's like yeah. they're finding cures for cancer and going to Tibetan <laughs> communities, and I'm like, I don't remember doing that when I was in college, so good luck to them. Jim, what do you have? I don't remember that either when yeah. I was in school. Um, I was first going to uh, mention uh, the snubbing of American hero Harriet Tubman from the $20 bill. Uh, that was something that was already decided it was supposed to happen. And Secretary Munchen, in his infinite wisdom, decided not to do it. Uh, you know, if you can't honor Harriet Tubman, then I don't know who you can honor. Now, what I would like to say, though, is there's another issue, fair chance occupational licensing. Uh, we have a situation where if you're an ex-offender, in order for you to get a license, like a barber's license, a pipefitter's license, or a plumber's license, in some cases, it's, it's hard, only because you were an ex-offender. We feel that to get a license, you should be prohibited if it's related to the crime. For example, if you're a pedophile, you shouldn't be able to get a daycare license. We get that. But if you are 
doing something that's unrelated and you want to become a barber, it just makes sense to let that person become the barber so that he doesn't go back to jail and take our tax dollars and get the job that he would like so he can produce tax dollars. So fair chance licensing, it's House Bill 5863 and Senate Bill 610, I'm urging passage of those bills because we need people that are ex-offenders to be gainfully employed and the fact that there's so many prohibitions just solely because you're an ex-offender doesn't make any sense to me and many others. All right. Uh, we have some national issues. Mark, let's start with you. Uh, does impeachment help Donald Trump or hurt him? I believe it's going to help him. You know, if they continue to, to say that over and over again, the middle of this country turns redder and redder every time they say the word. And uh, I think it's actually going to help. Is that why Nancy Pelosi, you think, is saying back off a little bit? But now, Dave, even David says, Lenny, I don't know whether they're not on the same page or maybe she's using him. To, to say what she'd really like to say without going that far. I don't know. Well, you know, I agree with Governor Raimondo. I, let's just focus on the next election. I mean, there's so much fodder there, so much information that we don't need to be talking about impeachment at this point. Um, our country needs to see what's, what's out there, and we need to look at the issues. And, you know, like I said, um, impeachment... Look at what happened with, with Bill Clinton. I mean, he was impeached. He didn't leave. And we spent so much time and energy and money and diversion. focused on that. And diversion. Yeah. And diversion. Why aren't we talking about how restorative justice or how we get people who are first-time offenders into the, into the workforce and all of these issues that are really yeah, important to people? Well, Eva, let me play, be devil's advocate. I don't, don't necessarily disagree with you. But however, um, impeachment, high crimes and misdemeanors. What the hell is high crimes and misdemeanors? Abuse of authority, intimidation, unbecoming conduct, refusal to obey a lawful order. Is anything like that happening in the country today? So what about that, ignoring it, it, the subpoenas, Mark? I mean, uh, does, that, does that sound crazy? Uh, yeah, I know. I where have it. I heard any of that? Well, but people have said that the third article of impe impeachment for Richard Nixon was ignoring a subpoena from cop. He had a lot of other issues, yeah. obviously, right. going on. Right. Uh, we can't, you know, relitigate all of that. But what about this in terms of Donald Trump's behavior as it has related, as the, again, sometimes they say it's not the underlying, the collusion, but it may be some of the things that he did following that. It doesn't seem to affect a lot of his supporters at this point in no, terms of the way they're viewing it. Because they see the whole thing as a witch hunt. So it's not going to affect his supporters. Um, it, it certainly gets the left riled up, but there's no, what is the crime? Where well, is the, the well, crime? I don't see, I look at it and I. I we agree with each other because there is a crime there. The question becomes, do we spend our days and our resources and our, and our energy as a government looking at this impeachment aspect and, and his son-in-law and his daughter and who's done with this and everything else when everything else is going to, going to the side? We're not focusing on issues that are just so big for our people, for people that, that are real, that you and I represent. Uh, I believe you can chew and walk, <laughs> chew, and, chew gum and walk at the same time. Uh, I think you have to just go through the process, maybe not talk the word impeachment, but I think that, you know, at some point, you know, you have to uh, go through the process. You just can't abandon the process. And I know that even if Bob Mueller got on, went before Congress and said, of those 10 obstruction of justice uh, allegations or charges that I have, I unequivocally believe that all of them are true, but I just didn't think that you could indict a sitting president, and I thought the Congress should deal with it. But as far as those 10 charges, oh, they're true. Then you, I don't know if the country would respond 
differently in terms of that impeachment yeah. or what? what? What about the larger issue heading into, I mean, we'd say the, the elections of 2020, it's right around the corner. Right. We've got like 437, you know, Democrats who have announced <laughs> the flip side of what it was, right, with the 17. Exactly. So how do you view this going into the election cycle? What does the president need to do? Sometimes he's his own worst enemy. He gets a victory and then and then will kind of shoot himself in the foot. But what do you think? I think that I think some of the base has dropped off since the 2016 election. What does he need to do to keep that momentum up going into 2020? Build the wall. <laughs> you think so? Build the wall. You know, and he is. The ball is going up, and he needs to get that televised. Well, he, he made a promise to, and to fulfill the campaign pledge. Simply. Yes. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. This um, on so many levels. I, um, President Trump has never become President Trump. He has every time I hear him speak, it's a campaign, com, you know, comment. It's a running diatribe on Democrats or Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton. I mean, why is he talking? He won. You're the president of the United States. What's your platform other than riling up people to say, keep them out, keep them out and the wall? I, Final uh, word? Yeah, well, I honestly don't believe that building a wall is going to make the difference in him winning Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. That's not going to make a difference in those three states. He's going to lose those three states, and he's going to lose the election. That's the final word. You get the final word. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to disagree. Or That's okay. It's Talk. okay. That's okay. You know? I, don't, I don't see it going that way. We'll come no. back here in a year. We'll get the same panel on and see where things are a year from now. Keep the tape. All right. We will do that. We always keep the tape here. Folks, uh, it is great to be back with you this week. We appreciate you joining us. Eva and Jim, good to see you again. And Mark, good to have you back. And we hope you can join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week, everybody. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program.